The scripture reading for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. You can find that on page 979 in the Black Pew Bible in front of you. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Matthew chapter 5, we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount. The religious leaders are being exposed. They erroneously thought that external law-keeping was good enough in God's economy. They were outwardly going through the motions of keeping the law, but their hearts were far from God. And, and they even had the, the people of the day hoodwinked, didn't they? The common people, they thought that the, the religious leaders were, were incredible and were godly and were holy. And the religious leaders saw the chasm between themselves and God as really, really narrow because they did all of these good things. These religious leaders were... What they were doing by doing these things and by teaching these things, they were lowering God's standard by focusing so much on the outward and not on the, the heart. See, God doesn't just give us a list of prohibitions, a list of thou shall nots that we can keep so we can feel good about ourselves. God's desire is not just for behavior modification, but for heart transformation. And he's He's taught us already the Beatitudes, the first 12 verses of chapter 5, these attitudes that ought to be. And in order to do those things, what he's doing there is he's, he's telling us this is the, the attitudes that ought to be. This is the characteristic of a Christian. This is how we should live. This is how a Christian will live. But if you read through those and we study through them, you realize without the Lord's help, we can't do that. See, we, we have to have God take out this heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. We need the Spirit's empowerment to obey the Lord, not just to do those things, but have a desire to do them. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus made an incredible statement. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and as he said that, jaws dropped because that was a shocking statement because they thought the religious leaders were all that. But Jesus reminds them that your righteousness must come from above. It's not a an outward righteousness, one you have within yourself. No, it must come from the Lord. You have to have a change of heart. And so Jesus, over the last few weeks, we've seen several examples. He gives six examples of how our righteousness can indeed surpass that of the Pharisees. And he starts with a formula, doesn't he? You have heard that it was said. But then he comes back, but, but I tell you, and, and these are called the six antitheses, as Jesus contrasts what they've been taught and what they were living with what the law actually said. And we know that Jesus isn't doing away with the law. He's not omitting the law. 
he's fulfilling the law. He is the fulfillment of the law. And so what Jesus is doing, he fulfills the law and proclaims what the demands of the law pointed towards and anticipated. And we know that he kept the law to a T, but the law was pointing towards Christ. And so what we're actually seeing in the Sermon on the Mount, we're seeing God's heart. We're seeing a picture of Jesus. And that's how we should be as well. We see already in these six antitheses, we've looked at two so far, don't murder. You've heard it was said, don't murder. Well, of course, it says that in the Ten Commandments, doesn't it? But Jesus says, don't even be angry with another to where you will slander them. Don't commit adultery. That's in the law as well. That was being taught and that was good. But Jesus says, don't even lust or desire one who is not your spouse. So God desires his followers to desire true righteousness, which is an inward righteousness, which must come from him. We can commit murder with our words. We can commit adultery with our thoughts. So when you not only obey outwardly in action, but inwardly from the heart, your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. The Pharisees who were going through the motions, but their heart was far from the Lord. So the next example we're giving of how our righteousness can exceed that of the Pharisees centered around, centers around divorce. You're thinking, gracious, I got up, put my clothes on, got ready, and come to church to, to hear about this. This will just bless your soul. Well, I hope it does. And if you're here visiting with us, what we do is we just walk through books of the Bible. 99 times out of 100, if you come here, we're just walking through books of the Bible, and we just pick up where we left off the week before, and we just exposit the text. And so that's where, where we are. We're in verse 31. So let's read that together. Matthew 5, 31 as we continue to study the Sermon on the Mount, 31 and 32, it was, said, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Well, what I'm going to do here today, we're going to look at two of these examples, one on divorce and one on vows or, or uh, oath-keeping. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the, the misunderstanding and then we're going to look at how Jesus corrected that misunderstanding. So we're going to do that with both of these examples. So firstly, the misunderstanding. What, what did the religious leaders misunderstand? Well, they had a religious leaders, remember, they had a system of righteousness that allowed them to do a lot of things that made themselves look good. And, and what they did is they had this system of righteousness that allowed them to dismiss or divorce their wives as long as they gave them a certificate of divorce. Now, this is based on solely on one text in Deuteronomy 24. So hold your spot there in Matthew 5. We're going to flip a little this morning. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is in the, in the beginning of the Old Testament. Let's flip left. Go to the beginning of your Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy 24. This is the, one of the sermons that Moses preached. Deuteronomy 24. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. And so they base their understanding of marriage and divorce on this one single passage. And there, there's other texts that allude to divorce. We're going to look at one in Malachi chapter 2 where it says God hates divorce. But this is pri the primary text on divorce in the Old Testament. So let's read it together real quickly. And this is what they're basing their, their theology of marriage on. Okay, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, 
and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. Now remember, the Israelites, the second generation uh, that survived the wilderness wanderings, they're on the edge of the, the banks of the Jordan River about to go in and take the land, and Moses has given them the second rendition of the law because they didn't know the law. Their parents didn't teach them, so he has, an, he has to re-instruct them on what the law says, and so that's what this uh, is coming from. But these religious leaders of Jesus' day, they're basing their understanding of marriage and divorce solely on this text. And how they understood this was a provision for the husband. By so doing, they all presupposed that the law was setting forth a right of the husband and identifying a problem with the wife that justified the husband putting her away. They see this as a provision for the husband. Also, the, the Pharisees seem to have held that there was this obligation for the offended husband to put his wife that he was unhappy with away. But in fact, what was actually happening in Deuteronomy 24, this is a provision for the woman. Keep in mind, it's a male-dominated culture. And when a, a man found some indecency in his wife, now we have to take time out there, what does that mean? If a man finds indecency in his wife, well, there's two schools of thought on that. These two rabbis had this school of thought, and there was a lot of debate. One was the Shammai and one the school of Hillel, and they disagreed. What is the meaning? Well, the one, the Shammai, he was a very conservative rabbi, and he interpreted the grounds of offense as adultery or sexual immorality. So the indecency was sexual immorality. Well, the, the other rabbi... Rabbi Hillel, he was a liberal, if you will, and he broadened the woman's offense to include trivial matters, anything like burning the dinner, being troublesome, being quarrelsome. And, and so once we fast forward to Jesus' day and the, the, the day of the Pharisees and religious leaders, we, it's easy to see which school of thought won the day. So in their mind, if you didn't take care of the house rightly, if you couldn't bear children, if your temperament was a little strong, the husband could put you away and could divorce you, but they had to give you a certificate of divorce. And so the religious leaders of Jesus' day had taken this law as a license simply to divorce your spouse, divorce your wife, and to drop the hat and find another. All you had to do was give the certificate of divorce. This was an easy no-fault divorce, maybe you could say, in the first century. But they, they were finding fault with their wife. But it could be something uh, minor. But they had become legalistic about the certificate of divorce, but excessively liberal about what the husband was allowed to find displeasing in his wife. But in Deuteronomy 24, what God was actually doing was providing provision for the women. What would happen when a woman was sent away and, and, and kicked out of her house, for lack of better words, she was given this certificate of divorce to let people know when they see her with another man that she's not an adulterer because in, under the old covenant, 
what happened to adulterers? Yeah, they were, they were stoned, right? They were put to death. So what this did is this provided for the woman and allowed her to find another husband and remarry and be provided for. And in Deuteronomy 24, it talks about the, the first husband who puts his wife out and she remarries and then maybe the second husband puts her out or the second husband dies. She can't remarry the first husband. That's part of the law. I think, well, why is that? Well, this example could explain it. The woman sent away by the first husband. She, she marries a wealthy man and he dies. Well, she gets his wealth, his land, his whatever. Well, this keeps the first husband from taking his wife back in just to get the stuff. That makes sense? So that's why that was in place. So that's Deuteronomy 24. But these religious leaders misunderstood that text completely, didn't they? So what's the correction? Part two of, the, this, of this divorce teaching. Look at verse 32, and, and Jesus straight, straightens them out. Verse 32 of Matthew chapter 5. Flip back there. I know you've been holding your spot. This, but I say, second part of the formula, right? Jesus straightens them out. But I say to you that everyone who divorces wife except on the ground of sexual immorality. So there's an there's a exception there, isn't it? He doesn't say you can't divorce, but there's an exception there. You can divorce, but there's very few reasons why you can. There's an exception. All right? Divorce your wife for any other reason. You make her commit adultery, and whoever married a, marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And we see elsewhere in Paul's writing, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, there's two other reasons given for divorce. 1 Corinthians 7, 15, but if it, the unbelieving partner, say two, two unbelievers, they're married, they get married, they're in love, they they're, get married. One of them becomes a believer. Well, maybe the, the unbeliever says, well, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. This isn't what I signed up for. And I'm married to this Christian. It says that if the unbelieving partner separates or leaves, then let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. So it seems to be there's an abandonment issue here. You've got unfaithfulness, then you've got abandonment by an unbeliever. But then, of course... We know that the, the, the third reason is death, right? 1 Corinthians 7, 39. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. So if there's a widow, she can, of course, she can remarry as long as she marries someone who's in the Lord of the faith, right? So there's some other reasons there that were given in Scripture. But Jesus just narrows the thing down and says, there, here's the reason, if, unless there's some unfaithfulness, infidelity, there's no reason for you to ever divorce. And he speaks about it again in Matthew 19. That's the text that Jake read for us in our scripture reading this morning. He brings it up. A, a, um, one of the religious leaders came to Jesus, a Pharisee, and asked him, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Of course, that was the, that was the thought of the day, right? The school of Hillel, that, yeah, well, you could divorce your wife. As long as you give her a certificate of divorce, you could, do, you could put her out for whatever reason. Loosey-goosey, wasn't it? But what does Jesus say in, in Matthew 19, the scripture that Jake read for us? I'm going to read that for you again. Um, 
What does Jesus do? He goes back to the very beginning. Turn there with me, Matthew 19, real quickly. We've got a lot to do here today, but I think this is important. Matthew 19, it's page 979 in the Black Pew Bible. Matthew 19, let's, let's look at that again. Jake's already read it. We read it with him, but I want to... This is another time Jesus speaks about uh, divorce. Look at verse 4. Jesus answered them, read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. So what's, what's Jesus do? He goes back to the very beginning of creation. Oh, you know, can you divorce for any other reason? Jesus, let's go back to the very beginning. How did this thing start? It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So there's a one flesh union, right? There's a consummation of the marriage, validating it, right? Verse 6, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And then they ask a question. And it was a good question, I think. Verse 7, They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And some of you may be having that same thought. Well, why would that even be in Deuteronomy 24? It don't make any sense. Again, it was provision for the wife. And what does he say in verse 8? He says, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. In other words, you're going to do it anyway. What we're just trying to do is protect the woman here. We're trying to give her a little help. Because you're hard and hard. You're going to be doing it anyway. Because of your hardness of heart. And in verse 9, I say to you, whoever divorces wife except for sexual morality and marries another commits adultery. So Jesus addresses that again. So this practice of giving a woman a, a certificate of divorce was a way to protect women from abuse and ill treatment from men. So the Old Testament is on the side of upholding and preserving marriage rather than encouraging divorce. And, and again, there's some, some exception clauses there allows someone to divorce. Now, I'll, I'll just tell you, my, this is what I do in, in counseling. I've never encouraged someone to divorce. You say, well, what if, what if but Jesus says if there's, there's unfaithfulness or infidelity. Yeah, that's, tr that's true. Is, does that give you grounds for divorce? Well, it looks like there is. It's real narrow. You know, those exception clauses, you know, exceptions are very few, but there are a few of those. But I would just say, I, I understand that, but that doesn't mean you have to. And you should. There may be opportunity, you know, situations where you need to separate. And I've counseled a lot of folks. It maybe you need you need to separate for a bit. And I've even told uh, one spouse, yeah, I would separate and not let them back in the house for a bit for these reasons or until this happens. But I've never encouraged anybody to divorce. I feel like the gospel is, is all about grace and mercy and forgiveness. And that's God's heart, and we should try to have God's heart. We see elsewhere where it says God hates divorce, and that doesn't seem to be God's will. And as we read through these texts, yeah, that's not his will. I think you can agree that's not God's desire. His desire that if you're married, you stay married. And in some cases, even if infidelity has taken place, if you can work through that, then we... We, I think we oftentimes should. Maybe not always, but oftentimes. So I, I say if you're married, what do we do? We stay married. And if you're single, I would say make a really good choice in a life mate. I was talking to someone recently uh, about that. They were single. And, and I know for me, when I got married, my parents, they have a, 
I have a lot of their same values and I trust their judgment. So when I wanted to get married, I brought Jenny home to meet them and they spent some time with her. And I just really wanted to get the thumbs up from mom and dad. I could have married whoever I wanted, but I wanted some, some help with that. That's a pretty big decision. This is a lifetime deal, right? And it's difficult. Two sinners living in the same house, sharing the same bed, the same bathroom, the same everything. It's hard, isn't it? Isn't it, Jenny? Yeah, it's hard. You got two sinners, selfish people, people who have flesh, a soul with flesh on. And you're living together. It is a difficult thing. It's a wonderful thing, but it can be difficult at times. But God, what does he, he want us to do? He wants us to be faithful in our marriages. And, and I, I counsel people, I see people uh, sometimes who they talk about wanting to be happy. Please, don't ever come in my office and say that. I hear that from time to time. But you know, I just, I just think I need to be happy. God wants me to be happy. What's wrong with that statement? Is it biblical? I don't think it is. No, God wants you to be holy. Now, does God want you to be miserable? Not always. But it's not about your happiness, is it? It's about your holiness. And marriage, that's what marriage does. It sanctifies. It's a tool, right? It's like being put on the anvil and being being molded into Christ's likeness. And marriage will do it for you because you're living with someone and you're called to sacrifice and give and serve. And that's not in our nature, is it? But it, man, it isn't so good. It's so good for us. I remember when I thought I was, there was a time in my life when I was single, there was, a, I felt like an anointing on life and God used me in ministry and, and you think you're doing really well and you really love the Lord and then you get married. You see what a selfish, self-absorbed person you are, right? Again, Malachi 2, 16. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. So he kind of, according to divorce, is to be faithless. And, and the New American Standard, of course, it says God hates divorce. So, so what's the application for this section? If you're married, you, you need to love your spouse and stay married. If you're in a difficult marriage, which some are, then work through it. Try to be faithful. If you're single, choose wisely. Don't make that decision hastily. Get good counsel. And, and for some that are here, you're divorced. And we, we did this several years ago. We, we kind of had a, some teaching time through this. What is biblical divorce? What is biblical remarriage? Can you be divorced? Can you remarry? We talked through all of those things. But for, for some, you may be, as we talk about this, it's a, it's a heavy thing for you. And there's some guilt there or whatever. Maybe you're married and your first marriage wasn't a biblical divorce and it's not a biblical remarriage. Well, this isn't like the unpardonable sin. You don't have the scarlet letter thing going on. What do you, what do, you do? If you realize that your, your first marriage ended and it, didn't, it wasn't a biblical ending to that marriage and you remarried, but that wasn't a, a biblical remarriage, then what do you do? Well, I would say, firstly, acknowledge that, repent of that, and then be faithful to the Lord. Be faithful to the spouse that, that you have now. 
we're saved by grace through faith, right? How many times have you been married? That doesn't determine whether you can approach God or not. That doesn't determine whether you can have a relationship with God or not. Our relationship comes by faith, right, in Christ. So there's no bondage here. In Christ, all our sins have been dealt with, right? Even, even maybe uh, a divorce situation. In divorce, there's always some sin somewhere, right? And it may be not in your case. It may be not on your part. But if their sin needs to be repented of, then repent and you be faithful to the Lord. But isn't it, isn't it awesome? Even if we, we've talked about anger and hatred and running off the mouth. We talked about adultery. We talked about divorce. Isn't it awesome that in Christ all of our sin debt has been paid and there's no bondage? Aren't you glad? Think about all the things. Man, there's, there's nothing that can separate us from intimacy with the Father if we have faith in Christ. All our past, present, and future sin was dealt with on the cross. Isn't that awesome? So there's some freedom there, right? And we should, there is freedom in Christ. How can your righteousness surpass that of the Pharisees in, in regard to marriage? Being faithful to your spouse, as difficult as it may be. Let's look at the next section real quickly. Verse 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said, this is the fourth example of how our righteousness can exceed that of the Pharisees. You've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have, what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. You remember as a kid making a promise? You might say, do you promise? Let's say, yeah, I promise. Do you pinky promise? Cross my heart and hope to die? Something like that. Little silly say, statements. Do you promise on a stack of Bibles this tall? Do you swear? Do you swear on your mother's grave? What's that mean anyway? People say that. Like, what, what in the world does that mean? That's crazy. That don't make any sense. But you say all these things, right? Our word is our what? Bond. That's right, brother. Our word is our bond. And we talk about the good old days. And everybody's got a good old days, right? Even Jenny and I, we've been married a few years, but we have the good old days in our marriage, right? But we have these good old days. What was the good old days? The good old days when you could look a man in the eye and shake his hand, and that was your bond. You give your word. You don't have to sign a bunch of papers, do a bunch of stuff. Shake your hand. You're yes, be yes, you know, you know. That was the good old days, right? Yeah, man, his word was what counted. Whatever you said, that's what I take to be fact. A man's word is the foundation, the pillar of a culture. Think about this. What if a, you're, you're, you're building a house and you paid a builder to do that, but he doesn't show up when he says he will? I'd have bless you so, won't it? Came back from being overseas and had to remodel my house. I remodeled my house. I couldn't find people just to come when they said they were going to come. I show up, be there, wait and wait and wait and trying to call them, trying to call them. They don't answer. They don't even call and tell me they're not coming. Hate that. Or what if you pay for something, somebody to do something, and they don't do it. They don't finish it. They take your money, but then they don't ever come back to do it. 
That'll bless your soul, won't it? We say, yeah, our service starts at 10.30. What if you show up and we started, nah, we just started, we decided to start at 9.30. What if the bank, you know, last year you refinanced your house, you got this 15-year mortgage, you got 15 years to pay the money, you pay every month the principal, and you, you understand you have to pay a little interest, right, as well. But what if the bank calls you and says, well, you know, next month we're going to call you on your loan. You're going to have to pay all of it back next month. How would, that, how would that sit well with you? Or your employer decides this week, I'm going to pay you $8 an hour instead of the $30 you usually give. What if the judge deciding your trial really didn't care if the witness had told the truth or not? Or what if your spouse decides that the promises he or she made before God, your family, and your friends really didn't mean anything? Truthfulness and, and keeping your word is vital, isn't it, to our culture? And, to, and it's really, really important to God. So let's look at this text. What's the misunderstanding here? In, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, oaths were given. Vows were given. Oaths were given. It was a little more formal than we might think today, but they would, they would be given in order to like seal agreements, to settle disputes, in order to declare something to be true. It's much like uh, notaries. We have notaries. Anybody a notary? I know Missy's a notary. She's not here today. Lisa is a, is a notary as well. There's notaries. And what they do is there's a notary that, that seals and signs this document, and they have this official authority to do that, to let you know this is authentic, this is true, and this is real, and this is a, a, a genuine document. And so these these and these vows were something similar to that in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament. Think about oaths that were made in the Bible. Any of them come to mind? Or vows? Think about it just for a second. Think of any? We went through First and Second Samuel. Any of them come to mind? How about Hannah. Hannah, let's read that text. First Samuel chapter 1, verse 10 11. Hannah's husband had another wife. Penina. And Penina had a lot of kids, and Hannah didn't have any. And so Penina, being the jerk-faced, terrible person she was, threw that up in Hannah's face all the time. And Hannah was very sad. And so she goes to the temple, and this is what she says. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. At least she wanted a son, didn't she? Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. He'd be a Nazarite. Well, Hannah made this vow. If you'll do this, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. She vowed to the Lord she'll do it. God gave her. You remember the story? Eli saw her, thought she was intoxicated. She comes back a year later. She has a child, Samuel. And then when that child was, was weaned, what did she do? She brought Samuel to the temple. Just like she said she would do, she kept her word. Yeah, the vow, an oath. In the New Testament, we have a, a, a vows. Paul, he gave vows. Peter makes a vow as well in Matthew chapter 26, verse 69 through 75. Jesus has been arrested. Peter follows them, right? They're in a little courtyard area. 
Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. Now Jesus had told him he's going to deny him three times. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. With an oath. I swear to you. <laughs> On my mother's grave. I don't know what he said. It's some kind of oath, right? And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. Swear means he didn't cuss, right? But he's swearing. He's, he's given an oath, making a vow. I do not know the man. And we know, unlike Hannah, Peter made a false vow, didn't he? He's, he's swearing. It's like he's saying, "Is God is my witness. I don't know him, right? But of course we know that is not true. So we see oaths, vows being given in the Old Testament, given in the New Testament. It was very common. Um, and in your small group next, next, uh, next week, you'll, you'll talk more about, look at more examples of these. But oaths, they're not a bad thing, and we're even encouraged. So sometimes in our thoughts, we think, well, that shouldn't be done. But Deuteronomy 10, 20 says, Fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him and hold fast Him, and by His name you shall swear. So you, know, you can... Make a vow, make an oath in God's name. You could do that. And not only that, you were encouraged to do that. But what was discouraged was making a vow, swearing to do something and then not doing it. And Moses repeatedly emphasized this in Leviticus 19. He says, you shall not swear by my name. It doesn't say don't swear by my name. Again, it's something we don't really understand exactly. We don't, it's not common for us, but... You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. So vows were assumed, even encouraged, but once made, they were not to be broken under any circumstances. But this is the misunderstanding. In Jesus' day, the religious leaders had a system, just like they had a system for divorce, right? Had a system they could do what they want to do and it made them look good. All right? They had another system here. And they worked the system to make themselves look good. They felt good about themselves without actually obeying the intent of the law. Somewhere along the line, some rabbis, not all rabbis, some rabbis begin to teach that an, an oath, a vow, was binding only if you included God's name. Like if you I swear by the God of heaven, then you were bound, you had to do what you said you were going to do. But there was, they focused on the specific wording of the oath and distinguished between those that were binding and those who were not. If you didn't, if you weren't making an oath and you're not swearing that in the Lord's name, you didn't have to do it. It wasn't quite as binding. If you, you were making a, a, an oath to heaven or by the temple or by your own life, then maybe it wasn't binding. So it's kind of like this. You could, you could say you're going to do something. It's, it's almost like when you're, when you're a child and you've got your fingers crossed, you've got them behind your back. It's almost kind of like that. Silly, isn't it? Yeah, it is silly. But a large part of the Mishnah, remember we talked about that? The Talmud and Gemara became the Mishnah and it was this oral law, right, of the Jews. A large section of the, the, the Mishnah is 
focused on which oaths are binding, which oaths are not. See, they got a system they're working. Well, I can give my word, but I don't really have to keep it. It's like having your fingers crossed behind your back. I didn't really mean it. So what's the correction? How does Jesus correct that? Let's look at 34 through 37. Again, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, it is a footstool, or by Jerusalem. Because that's what they would, they would make an oath and swear by Jerusalem or by the temple or whatever. And do not take an, an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair black or white. See, one of the things, you don't make an oath or vow because we recognize that God's sovereign. Like this. We say, we'll see you Wednesday night. But it's always good to, to, to preface that with Lord willing because as Christians, we recognize that God's sovereign. And we don't have control over anything. I mean, you plan on going to work tomorrow, right? Yeah. You plan on going to work? Hunter, you plan on going to work tomorrow morning? Yeah, you plan on going to work tomorrow. Lord willing, I'm going to get up and go to work. I'm going to be at work at 8 o'clock, Lord willing. But we don't know for sure if we can do that because we're not in control. God's in control. So we recognize that God's sovereign. That's why we don't make a whole lot of vows. Who knows what will come up? Lord willing, I'll, I'll do that. Verse 37, let what you say simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. So Jesus makes a correction here. You can say, well, it depends on how you, you state the oath. It depends on how you word it, as if I really have to do it or not. And Jesus says, no. If you say you're going to do it, do it. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Don't be one to say, well, I swear or I promise. So application of the second part here on, on keeping your word. How do we apply that to our life? Well, just real simple. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you have to say, I promise, if you're telling your spouse that all the time, well, I promise, I promise, that's probably an indication you're probably not a man of your word or a woman of your word. Or I swear, I swear this time. Well, that means the 14 times before that you haven't done it, right? It means you're not a person of your word. Repent and be a person of your word. And another thing that I had to watch, and I've, I've tried to change how to do this, with, with your children, they're asking, Daddy, can we do this yesterday? Daddy, can we go swimming? It's hotter, you know, it's hot. Kids want to go swim a lot, right? Um, and we have pools that we can go to. But it's like, I don't know. And I used to say maybe. Maybe. Yeah, Christian, when you hear maybe, what does that mean? That means, yeah, probably so. Good chance of it. And when it doesn't happen, <laughs> right? Heartbroken. So I don't do that anymore. I don't say maybe. I say, we'll have to see. If we, we get this done, this done, this done, this done, then we can't. If not, we can't. But a lot of times you tell your kids, if you know when you say if your kids are asking, they're just kind of, they're asking. They're not being terrible. They're just asking, hey, can we do this? Can we do that? And it, you don't want to say no because you don't want to hear them cry right then and complain. So what do you say? Sometimes you just say maybe to appease them, but you know you're not going to do it. Hey, that's lying. That's, you're not keeping your word. Don't say, I swear, I promise, maybe, if you know it's not going to happen. Just say no. Can't do that, sorry. Or, or some of us, we're really busy. You're working can to cane, and somebody asks you to do something. and You really have good intention, and you want to help everybody. and You, you hate to tell anybody no. And you say, yeah, I'll, I'll try to get to that, da 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 but if you already can't eat, you don't have time, don't do that. And we, we, have, we have a hard time with that because we don't tell anybody no. We want to help everybody. You're like, man, I just really, 
I, there, I don't have time. There's no way I'm going to do it. Just say, man, probably not going to be able to have time to do that. I'm sorry. You might need to get somebody else to do that. But sometimes we, we tell people, yeah, we'll do it or da 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 and it's because we don't hurt feelings or whatever. So what's Jesus doing here? He's just kind of clearing up all this stuff and just says, let your yes be yes and no be no. You know, you say, I'm, I'll be home at 5 o'clock. Say, I'm going to be home at 5, then, you know, things happen. Traffic jams, da 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 but just try to do what you say you're going to do. If you're not sure, say, I don't know. Yeah. And I think if you're one of those who, um, and I think some of us do this, you really want to do everything, but you're already, like I said, can to can't. You don't want to tell anybody no. Let's just do this. The next time that happens and you say it and you, afterwards you're like, oh, why did I tell them I would do that? Hey, do it if it costs you, if you have to empty your bank account or if you get no sleep for three days. Just do it. Because, you know, the next time you start to say something, you'll wait, wait a minute. I'm not going to tell you I'm going to do something if I can't do it. So I think that's the application for this part. Let your yes be yes and no be no. And it's really difficult sometimes because we want to appease everybody and make everybody happy, but sometimes we just can't. We just have to be real honest with folks. And we have to work at that, don't we? And by doing so, by being a person of your word, where you don't have to say, I promise or I swear, just get out of the habit of doing that. Sometimes we're just in the habit, no, I promise, I promise. Just get out of the habit of doing it. When you say that, somebody in the family rebuke them, say, yeah, the pastor said you shouldn't do that because you should be a man of your word. Just say, I'll do it or I won't. So let's work on that as a church, okay? If we say we're going to do something, do it. If you sign up and say, hey, I'm going to be there and I'm going to keep the nursery or do the children's church next week. Well, unless you're ill or, you know, just do it. Do what you got to do to do it. Just kind of keep your word. But let's get in the habit of not saying we're going to do something if we don't. Let your yes be yes, you know be no. That's what Jesus says. Because we're, we're Christians, and that's what Christians do. I mean, it's, that's the foundation of our culture. And Christians should be the, the best at being a, the best citizens there are. But our, our word it means a lot. Pooh cuts my hair. If I'm not handsome, it's, it's her fault. It's her fault. I tell her every time, make me handsome. And if that doesn't happen, blame her. But if she says, yeah, 2 o'clock, I'll be there at 2 o'clock. Then I just do everything, whatever. I said I'll be there at 2. We need to be there at 2. That's what I said we'll do. Keeping our word is real important in, the, in, in, in our culture, in the world, in a society, but in church as well. I mean, we, we don't just operate, we co-operate. And if all the things I said when I began this, if, if you know, everybody folded, the banker, the school system, okay, the school system, I'm, I'm going to go to school, I'm going to pay you tuition, I'm going to school here, and if I keep this GPA, then you have to, and I finish this work, you have to give me my degree. What if they don't give you a degree? It just doesn't work, that doesn't work well. Everything just kind of collapses. Truth telling is really, really important especially in the church. So let's be, let's be all about telling the truth and keeping our word. If we say we're going to do something, let's do it. If we can't, just, just be honest and say we can't. And it may be where, I know I, had a, I was studying through this and there's a, a widow that I know that I, 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 I think a lot about, but I've told her I was going to do something shortly after her husband passed away and she needed something done. And I said, I'm going to get to that. And I had it on my day timer. You know how you keep moving it? I don't know if you do this or not, but on my phone I got a little day timer. And I moved that. Every day I would 
oh, this day would get filled up, so I'd move it to the next day. And I just did that for like two weeks. And finally, I, I get to her house, and it was already done. I didn't even go in and tell her. I just backed out and left because I felt so terrible. But you know what? I didn't keep my word. I told her I was going to do it, and what did she end up doing? She ended up getting somebody else to do it because I didn't show up. I didn't do it like I said I was going to. And so you know what I need to do? Just stand it by way of application. I need to go by there and just tell her and apologize. So you know, I didn't keep my word. I told you I will do it, and I didn't. Now I'm sorry. I hope I never, that never happens again. Maybe in regard to um, truth-telling, you need to repent and make something right with maybe a spouse or a child or a parent or a boss or whoever. At work, you need to be a person of your word. If you say you're going to do it, you need to do it because you, you represent Christ. So let's be awesome at your job and be an awesome truth-teller so people can trust what you say is, is what it is. Kids, truth-telling. Don't exaggerate. Don't lie. Be honest with your parents. It'll go a long way for you. And that's the way you honor the Lord. Jesus set them straight in regard to divorce. How can, you be, how can your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees? By being faithful to your spouse. How can you, your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees in, in, in truth-telling? Just by letting your yes be yes and your no be no. Not trying to put your, cross your fingers and put them behind your back. And when you say something, just, if you say you're going to do it, let's do it. Maybe you're here and you've, um, you're talking about, you hear about the righteousness of the Pharisees and, and you may be thinking like them that you can just be a good person and not be a terrible person and you can be okay and you and God are going to be all right. And the chasm between you and God is really, really narrow. Well, let me tell you, if you've yet to repent and trust Christ and His work on the cross as your own, the chasm between you and God is, is infinitely long. There's no way you're going to have a relationship with God. And on the day of judgment, what's going to happen is God is going to pour out His wrath upon you for all eternity. You've got a really, really big problem. If you've yet to repent and trust Christ's work on the cross as your own, you've got a really, really big problem. A lot bigger than divorce and truth-telling. You're at enmity with God, and He's going to pour out His wrath upon you because He's just, and He has to. So I'm going to encourage you by way of application is, is to repent. Maybe say, yeah, I've, in my marriage I'm not being faithful. In truth-telling, I'm not being faithful. I'm not faithful with anything in my life. Well, repent and trust Christ as your Savior and Lord and be saved today and be reconciled to God. So, he can, so He'll give you this new heart of flesh that can respond to, to Him rightly. And what will happen is God will begin to change your heart and your desires and the things that you never thought you would desire to do. All of a sudden, you'll begin to, little by little desire to do, and that's called sanctification. That needs to happen in your life. So if you're lost and you've yet to repent, I want to encourage you to repent, whether you're an adult or a child. That'll be, that'll be your application for, for today. The Sermon on the Mount is, is wonderful, but it's really it's a di it's difficult, isn't it? It doesn't make yourself feel, feel good, you know? It's, it's difficult. It kind of lays it all bare and, and exposes. It, it, Jesus is exposing the religious leaders, but he's exposing... Even as believers, we look at his standard, and his standard is so lofty, isn't it? We can't attain it on our own, but yet, in Christ, we are being made in his image. But we have a desire to be. So let's continue to do that and pray for one another, okay? Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.